You're listening to the Young Opportunist Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. We're really excited to bring you another book review. And in today's episode, we are reviewing The Courage to Be Disliked. This is a bestseller with over 3 million copies sold in Asia and luckily later translated into English. Simply put, this is about how we can find happiness and unlock the ability within ourselves to become our best and authentic self. So, a little bit of background on how this book was written and why. Basically, there are two authors of this book, Ichiro Kashimi and Fumitake Koga. Fumitake is a professional writer and author who encountered a thing called Adlerian psychology in his late 20s. He got so interested in Adlerian psychology that he read book after book and then came across Ichiro, a philosopher that focused on Western classical philosophy. Fumitake organized to visit Ichiro and learn the essential points of Adlerian psychology and chose to note the learnings in a dialogue format. This is how the book was written, illustrating a conversation between two individuals, the philosopher and the youth. The youth is someone that struggles with confidence, self-image and direction. We think this is a must-read, not only for someone that feels like they're in a rut in life, but I guess kind of in general, everyone in their 20s, because it provides some direction um, and some key principles, all based in this Adlerian psychology. This wasn't a word-by-word conversation from Fumitake's visit, but it was written in a really cool way. It almost felt like you were along with the journey coming back night after night Mm. and taking the learnings from the philosopher each time, um, trying to understand each idea and each concept. Um, And it also made it really easy when a complex philosophy was explained because the youth would ask the dumb questions that you already had in your head. Yeah. So that was a little intro into it, but let's get underway with our talking points. What was the first one? Yeah, so I'll kick it off. Um, Basically, this first point is actually quite harsh. um, And it's around this idea of unhappiness is something that you choose for yourself. Um, When you first say that out loud, some people when reading this honestly might not like the idea or point that the author is trying to put across. But I'll try and articulate it as uh, well as possible. So the philosopher explains to the youth that the reason he's unable to change is because he's making the decision not to. People are constantly selecting their own lifestyles. The youth states constantly throughout the book, um, especially in the early stages, that he has had a really tough upbringing which affects his everyday life um, in the future and he really struggles with that like, confidence and connecting with others. And I guess this the, the conversation between the philosopher and the youth is kind of unpacking that and um, the philosopher giving him some like core principles um, and philosophies that will help him get out of this rut. So the youth wants to change this very minute, even claiming that he wishes he was reborn as someone else. So after the youth says this, the philosopher jumps in and says, the reason you're unable to change is because you're making the persistent decision not to change your lifestyle. Then the youth goes on and rejects this by saying that his number one wish is to change. He just can't. The philosopher explains that sometimes it's just easy to leave things as it is. And he uses a great analogy to describe this. It's just like driving the old family car. It might rattle a little bit, but one can take that into account and maneuver it easily. On the other hand, if someone makes the active decision to change their lifestyle, they can't predict it anymore. It'll be hard to see into the future, which could possibly cause anxiety. A more painful life may lie ahead whilst attempting to change one's lifestyle. That is why it is easier to just remain the same. So the philosopher goes on to say that it takes great courage to change our lifestyle. There is both anxiety involved by changing and then also the disappointment by not changing. The reason courage is involved is because unhappiness cannot be blamed on your past or your environment. It isn't that you lack confidence. Um, You may just lack the courage that is required to kind of step out of your environment and I guess change at the end of the day. Mm. And I guess that's basically one of the core principles of Adlerian psychology. Yeah. Is, yeah, and basically this book 
having the courage to be disliked. It's in the title itself. Mm, mm. And yeah, face, facing upon all those things and having the courage to believe in yourself to make a change. Yeah. So the next one I really want to quickly touch on um, is a concept that we talked about previously in episode eight where we reviewed The Alchemist. Um, to this day, probably like up there is one of our favorite books. Um, so if you haven't checked that episode out, definitely go back. And this is the idea of that, that person that has all the reasons as to why they could do something but never actually try. So I'm just going to read um, from page 36. I have a young friend who dreams of becoming a novelist, but who never seems to be able to complete his work. According to him, his job keeps him too busy, but he can never find enough time to write novels. And that's why he can't complete work and enter it for writing awards. But is that the real reason? No, it's actually that he wants to leave the possibility of I can do it if I try open by not committing to anything. He doesn't want to expose his work to criticism and he certainly doesn't want to face the reality that he might produce an inferior piece of writing and face rejection. He wants to live inside the realm of possibilities where he could say that he could do it if only he had the time or that he could write if he just had the proper environment and that he really does have the talent for it. Mm, that that's relates straight to the, is it the crystal shop owner? Or something? Yeah, yeah. That like, wants to go to Mecca? And always dreams about it. And, and never does? And never does. Yeah. Um, and like we talk about, like we do talk about quite a lot and it's a scary concept because that's how kind of regret happens at the end of the day because sometimes, yeah, it is scary to get your work criticized or if you've always dreamed about starting that business or, um, or even changing career paths, it'll always be in the back of your mind, but it's kind of that kind of like an ego thing, right? Like you don't want to admit that you might not actually be as good at something because you've never tried it. Yeah. But it could also even be caring about what people think too much mm. and you could be too scared about like oh what if i do swap careers what are like my the job the current job that i'm in what are they going to think of me or like yeah if yeah. i do fail how many people are going to look down upon me yeah and but, i think like there's that those two sides of that as well mm. but i think it like really drives home the point where it's like i could do this if i tried like i could do this if i tried and make an excuse for and it. making kind of excuses around it and that you're actually like this you know the old mate like at the pub that mm. used, could have been a footy star but... Yeah, did his um, ACL. Did his ACL. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that guy. No hate to that guy as well. Um, do you want to hear the next point? Yeah. So, what we want to discuss next was something called the inferiority complex. It's basically where A is the situation which means B cannot be done. For example, I'm not educated so I can't succeed. In general, the condition of feeling inferior is a condition of feeling some sort of lack in oneself in the present situation. The healthiest way to tackle this is through striving and growing. In relation to the example about education, one can say, all right, I'm going to apply myself, I'm going to work hard so I can succeed. But of course, this is a lot easier said than done. Because this kind of takes a lot of courage and we, kind of, we aren't actually equipped with this kind of courage. So people end up stepping into an inferiority complex, which is I'm not educated so I can't succeed, which is implying your capability by saying, if only I were educated, I could be really successful. Or that the real me, which just happens to be obscured right now by the matter of education, is actually superior. This kind of relates to the point we said before around the person who never actually tries, but they say they would be really good at something. Um, so those that are suffering from strong feelings of inferiority do not have the courage to address this um, by whether that's like striving or growing um, or educating themselves. They can't actually accept one's incapable self. In that case, people will try to compensate in some other fashion by acting as if one is indeed superior and to indulge in the fabricated feeling of superiority. So an example of this that I think like a lot of people may be able to relate to is 
that one person that maybe like lies a lot or kind of like overhypes something. Um, so, or someone who maybe like misrepresents their work experience or their resume and talks themselves up because they want to act like they're superior, but their true self is actually coming from an inferior position, if that makes sense. Yeah. Drives home exactly what we said to the previous talking point as well, like making that excuse. Mm. And especially what we, what we said at the start was, I'm not well educated, so I can't succeed. Yeah. Like that straight away, putting a blanket over that and cutting out all the potential that you have. Because you say you don't have the skills that you have now. Yeah. And it, it comes back to courage as well at the end of the day to kind of like face that you may not actually be as good as you think you are. Um, yeah, you, you may want to be there one day, but to actually be there, it takes courage to like change and grow. Yeah. And hone in on those skills. Yeah. Adapt. Reese, do you want to hit the next point? Yeah. So this is quite a popular talking point and it's something that most people have heard before, um, which is quite self-explanatory, but it's basically life's not a competition. And I think this is a great reminder, especially people in their 20s that, that need to hear and especially with the day and age that we live in now with social media, we've talked about this before, like um, you can compare yourself to other people, mm. see the lifestyles that people are living and easily just, you know, cast shade and say, how come I'm, my life's not as happy as theirs or how come they're doing these things and I'm flaving away. Or if like they're succeeding, I'm losing, like that yeah. zero comes, zero yeah. sum game thing. And like we all know where that leads. It leads to a pretty dark path. Um, you can feel really down on yourself. So in the book, they mention a great analogy. And basically the philosopher says that when we think of superiority, we generally think of it as being superior to other people. Climbing to the top and stepping over people to get there. But this isn't how we should view it. We should consider the example that we are all on the same level playing field and everyone is moving forward. Superiority is the mindset of taking a single step forward on one's own feet not the mindset of competition to be greater than others. This is where an unhealthy feeling of inferiority comes from, when we compare to others. But a healthy feeling of inferiority is if we basically compare with ourself and compare it with our ideal self, the self that is basically all you can be. And I kind of joined that talking point within the book with a great talking point within a podcast from The Diary of a CEO. Stephen Bartlett got Johnny Wilkinson on a famous footy player Um, from the United Kingdom and he talks about how you should be all you can be not being the best you can be because this is from past experiences of your performance but being all you can be is the full potential of yourself Mm. so this also relates to the book Atomic Habits as well the 1% better every day continuous improvement and kind of like the growth mindset that we always talk about yeah not comparing yourself to others but as long as you're putting one foot ahead of the other you know growing Mm. and learning more you're doing well. Yeah. It's like comparing yourself to yesterday. Like mm. yesterday's you. Kind of yeah. trying to get like 1% better every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's lots of sayings that come from that. And that's also like, and we'll talk about it. I think we'll touch on another point later on. But it's just a better way to to kind of look at the world. Like it's not a big competition all the time. Yeah. And that's going to bring you like a healthier mindset. Um, and probably improve your well-being at the end of the day because you're not always like, oh, if this person's winning, like I'm losing um, or yeah. So like, I don't know. I think that'll help like not just your, your own productivity and your own growth, but I think like your, the way you look at the world as well. Yeah. And you're doing it for yourself. Mm. You're not doing it to prove anyone else wrong or yeah. to like one-up anyone. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was an awesome talking point. Do you want to go on to the next one? 
So the next one is around the separation of tasks. Um, this is something that we actually never really heard of. And I remember when we first read it, we kind of like texted each other straight away and said like, dude, I've never heard of this. Um, and we'll try to kind of explain it as, as good as possible. So Adlerian psychology discusses a point about the separation of tasks. This basically states that individuals need to think with the perspective of whose task is this and continually separate one's own tasks from other people's tasks, signifying that we should not intrude on other people's tasks as all interpersonal relationship troubles are caused by intruding on other people's tasks. So it sounds like super complex when you put it like that. Um, and we may or may not be reading that like word for word just then. <laughs> but you can implement this in a practical way by asking yourself, who's going to receive the result at the end of the day? So in the book, they use this example of a child needing to study. Um, and if the child chose not to study, the end result would clearly be that the child will not be able to keep up in class. Um, and th- this is the child's task. The act of the parent commanding the child to study is an act of intruding on another person's task. This isn't saying that the parent should not care at all. It's saying that the parent should state that they are there for assistance when they need them, but will not be there to consistently tell the child they should be studying. And this comes down to the whole saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Mm. And I'm sure all you guys have heard that bond before. The onus and responsibility is on the individual or the child. You can also look at this from the other perspective, as caring about other people's tasks turns your life into a worry always thinking about other people's tasks and feeling like you are responsible for them. By discarding other people's tasks, you are lightening your load and basically making your life simpler. And I remember in the book, the youth um, kind of like argued back against the philosopher by saying, isn't this going to make you like incredibly lonely? And it's kind of also selfish mm. because like, I'm not going to help you out. I'm not going to help you out. Honestly, I when I read it, and still now, I sometimes question it because yeah. I don't think I fully understand it. Yeah. But I do, I understand the, the talking point of with yourself, like in your own shoes, you shouldn't be reliant on other people to do your tasks and motivate you to yeah. do something. Yeah. And that will lead to, you know, that that's, you've heard the whole saying of like wrapping your kid in cotton wool. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like not giving them responsibility, not giving them courage. Um, so... I can understand it in that viewpoint, but especially like helping other people out. That's why I couldn't understand. I think it's like a really fine line, hey. And the next point is kind of around this idea of um, the desire for recognition makes you unfree. Um, It's kind of further to the separation of tasks. So to live one's life trying to manage people's feelings and being worried about how they may look at you is living in a way that other wishes are granted. This is a very unfreeing way to live. Now, why do people choose to do this? Some people call it the desire for recognition. But in this case, you're really just saying that you don't want to be disliked by anyone. At the end of the day, no one wishes to be disliked. But if you're continuously looking to satisfy others, you may succeed in not being disliked. But what else has suffered at the end of the day? You're basically entrusting your own life with others. Yeah, and basically putting your objectives and your goals in the hands of other people. Mm. You're not following your own passion and what you really want to do in life. Yeah. Because you're too scared about what other people think about what that could be. Or you're just, um, you know, more more worried about... Yeah, other people's like opinions and things like that. Yeah, and more focus, sorry, on, you know, pleasing them. Yeah. And that, that comes down to the whole, you know, your parents tell you to study, so you're going to go study. Mm. Or, you know, maybe your friends work at nine to five, um, you know, in the corporate world, so that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So, the book basically drives home the point that this is an unfree way to live life, to really live in the expectations of others and to try and please them all the time. And later on in the book, it explains what real freedom is. Mm. 
And I'm just going to read a little passage from the book. So the philosopher says, a stone is powerless. Once it has begun to roll down a hill, it will continue to roll until released from the natural laws of gravity and inertia. But we are not stones. We are beings who are capable of resisting inclination. We can stop our tumbling selves and climb uphill. The desire for recognition is probably a natural desire. So are you going to keep rolling downhill in order to receive recognition from others? Are you going to wear yourself down like a rolling stone until everything is smoothed away? When all that is left is a little round ball. Would that be the real I? It cannot be. Mm, It's like a powerful point, hey? Yeah, because it is true. Like if you're totally reliant on all that external noise, what's going to be left? Yeah. And like it kind of drives home the point around to live in that kind of way is to be kind of like a slave to your own desires and impulses. But as it says, like we're, we're humans, like we have the ability to push the stone back up the hill and reach our full potential. From inside. Yeah. And you know, that, does that kind of relate to motivation as well? Like being internally motivated to do something instead of... Well, I think it relates back to courage like as well. Like it takes courage to do that. Yeah, we're just saying that because it's on the book. (laughs) True. (laughs) said it four times. (laughs) No, but it is true. Yeah. It takes courage to like not just satisfy other people's like wants and desires and it takes courage to be disliked and which is, yeah, obviously the title of the book. Do you want to go on to the last point? Last and final one. Yeah. This final point is something that we mentioned in our most recent BTY episode number six Um, and it's around this idea of treating life as a series of dots rather than a straight line. Um, people that are only focused on, I guess, like the the goal or objective of life will miss out on the greater part of life. Mm. You should enjoy the journey and you'll accomplish the goals that are along the way. Um, I guess like being in the present and enjoying it. Yeah, the book kind of uses this analogy around two rock climbers. Um, And one is, I guess their pure goal is to get to the top of the mountain and they kind of call this en route. Um, their heads down, the end goal in life is just to reach the top. Whereas there's another climber who is also en route, but he's kind of taking his time, he's looking around, seeing the nature um, and seeing things as kind of a series of moments, um, which the book kind of talks about. And I think this is such a key, like a key concept to grasp because sometimes, especially when you're young, you're in your 20s um, and you're kind of like grinding it out. It can be easy to, I guess, look at the the greater point of life which is the everyday like the everyday moments and some days suck but it's kind of like that's the process right like Mm. and enjoying that process of the downs and the ups yeah and we've said this in the part of our journey building this podcast like you got to love the process Mm. and people have probably heard that as well um but the process is the greater part of it all yeah yeah you know graduating uni and securing your job is that that's the that's the end goal but enjoying uni because you're never going to have that time again yeah. where you're going to have days off of work. You're not working full time. And that's deferring gratification and happiness mm. because you're going to say, I'm going to be happy when I graduate or I'm going to be happy when this happens. Um, where if we're present, we're enjoying the moment, happy days. And also like as grim as it sounds, some people don't actually make it to the top of the mountain or the end of their life, if you know what I mean. So like, um, and people, we, we don't like to talk about this, but like people... Sometimes, like if there if there's someone that's en route the whole time, they've delayed gratification to the point where they've never actually even had the opportunity to to meet that goal. If you know what I mean. Mm. So what will people look at his life as a failure and wasted five years, yeah, or ten years of yeah. their whole life? Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, it's like a really powerful concept. And I think it's such a great reminder, especially when we're in our 20s and like we're kind of grinding it out almost or we're about to get into our careers. Um, so yeah. So that basically wraps up our book review today. They were some of our key takeaways from the book. And obviously there are a lot more you know, my book is covered in sticky notes. Yeah. Um, so, there's a lot more talking points and really cool ideas that we really resonated personally. So, we highly recommend buying this book. It's it definitely up. a buy. Yeah, 100. And, you know, it, it's really relatable to especially Ben and I in our 20s and we're, we're questioning a lot of things, you know, um, and some people that do lack confidence and, mm. you know, have those thoughts, um, don't really know where their passions lay and yeah, we, we really we really recommend it. It says on the back, a single book that can change your life. And I honestly think like this is this was such a helpful book, but especially for someone that you do does feel like they're in a bit of a rut um, or not 100% sure what they want to do with their life, which is our 20s in a nutshell, um, definitely pick up this book and let us know what you think about it as well. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you want to stay up to date with what's new, remember to press follow on your chosen podcast platform. You can find us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Young Opportunist. Once again, thanks for listening. Catch you next time.